Welcome to the spooky Halloween episode of Deconstructing Damsels. This episode will feature regular guests Finn and our reading of The Last Blackstone Dragon by Alicia Montgomery. It was a freebie off of Amazon. So if you're curious and you want to go read it before you listen to this episode, go forth. We'll also be discussing some things that I have found in Romancelandia that I think we should probably talk a little bit more about at the end of the episode. And we'll also be featuring new podcasts that everyone should be listening to because that's what you do when you're deconstructing damsels. All right, I'm your host, Jesse, and let's get started. Hey, this is Andrea from the Shelf Love Podcast. On Shelf Love, a guest and I read a romance novel and use it as the text to discuss our personal lives, relationships, and the society we live in. You get curated book recommendations, fun games, and contributions from readers like you. Each episode of Shelf Love features an amazing guest from Romance Landia. Do you know Alyssa Cole, Lucy Score, Kate Claiborne? Me too, because they're guests on upcoming episodes. It's been called sexy. It's been hailed as hilarious. It's also smart and unapologetically feminist. I hope you check it out and join the fun. You can find Shelf Love on all major podcast platforms or go to shelflovepodcast.com for more information. Shelf Love is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. So here is the patron shout out of the episode. What's her name podcast? You are awesome and I totally appreciate it. And thank you. And now we can talk about Dun Dun Dun, the book. All right, so we've been really good, and we haven't been talking about the book too much, even though we both were dying to talk about it to each other. Oh, yes. I was very proud of us. Very, very proud. It was not easy. (laughs) Because it was some choice of a book I made. Sorry about it. It it sure was a book of some sort. (laughs) So... (laughs) I already introed the book as The Last Blackstone Dragon. It's a mountain, no, sorry, it's a Blackstone Mountain novella, and it's by Alicia Montgomery. This is just a rewind, guys. We already said it. In May the her bones be cursed. They already were. We had to read the book. Not ours, hers. Oh, okay, yes. Okay, so we should start off and say that this was a prequel. I kind of didn't let you know that. My bad. I thought you maybe have read that when it was said prequel in there. But anyway. Yeah. Um, and it's a... I've never read her storybooks. Mm-hmm. Never before and uh, probably never again. Bingo. All right. So unlike last year's Mating the Huntress, which was amazing, mm-hmm. this one gave me a headache. A really big headache, and I read it really fast, and it still gave me a really big headache. Raspinator mm. headache in whole body. No, 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 stop. Oh. And and no, by the way, I'm not editing that out. That stays in. Okay. If they're gonna if they're gonna have a pod if we're gonna have a podcast where we're talking about us and what we read and our relationship, might as well keep the bad in with the good. Okay. <laughs> so. <laughs> I am going to let you lead because I read the book like two weeks ago and you read it yesterday. Yes. So (laughs) you remember a little bit more than I do, but I have some really good notes. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Okay. 
You can go through the plot line now. Mm-hmm. I'll try to piece it back together. The last Blackstone Dragon is the story of Hank and of Reva. Hank is the CEO of a company whose name escapes me. <laughs> Probably Blackstone. One assumes. <laughs> and he is also a dragon shifter. Something that is surprisingly not really a factor in the book. <laughs> hey, there's at least twice where it shows up. Yeah, it shows up, yeah. <laughs> All right. His problem is that his family is very important to the uh, mining town and he is without an heir. <gasps> what is a man to do? An honorable man and a good man. What can he do to procure a wife and an heir? Why, of course, he buys it from somebody who owes money. <laughs> yeah. Yo, and, and, and let's be fair, he really does do that, too, because... Yep. It's straight-up blackmail. It's it's a rare book where uh, I can be absolutely certain that the hero is irredeemable after the first chapter, but there we go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He was a choice of a lead. Mm -hmm. It bears mentioning that at some point is Riva, the daughter of the man who owes uh, money, hears about this possibility. She enters more or less willingly to save the f uh, family business. And the expected hijinks ensue. Yes. And we will say it's called a marriage of convenience. I, of course, call it blackmail of the lowest order, but whatever you want to call it, it's the marriage of convenience trope. I call it rape in this case. <laughs> well, straight up, there you go. All right. I'm not wrong. It's definitely a power imbalance. Okay. So, what did you think of Riva? Uh, there, there was not really much to think there, was there? No, she was very inconsistent as a character, I thought. Mm -hmm. She basically only uh, went from scene to scene and uh, did what the plot called for. Yeah, I noticed that because like, there was, there were some parts that I thought was actually really interesting. Like, um, I'm going to use a quote now. I actually, I actually didn't make quote notes, guys. I just don't remember the entire plot because, again, two weeks ago and like four books ago. Okay, so the quote goes... Once she got her work experience under her belt, she applied for Rickard University's MBA program, one of the top schools in the country. Of course, she was sad to leave her dad, as Rickard was two states over. She and her boyfriend Daniel had agreed to the long-distance thing, and she had missed him as well. Reva frowned. Where was Daniel? At Sinclair Construction's VP of Operations, he was usually hanging around the office. But she hadn't seen him or had he offered to pick her up at the airport when she arrived that morning. In fact, his last text message had been a few days ago. She talked it up to a busy summer season. Okay, so I, I highlighted that one for a reason. Mm -hmm. So part of me is, is Reva reminds me of a really, really, really like knock, knock down version of Hale in The Cutting Edge, which mm -hmm. was um, Kate's boyfriend. The, mm -hmm. the non-hockey player, mm -hmm. the NBA guy. And she reminds me of that. Like, that's what she's trying to go with it. But she doesn't actually do a lot to follow through with it. Even though her background in business and stuff comes back, 
because she's taking some time off, obviously, because she got married all of a sudden. Um, mm-hmm. But it comes back, yet they don't really incorporate it. They don't really show her. They do a lot of telling and not a lot of showing in this. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and so like they don't actually show her using that degree that she's so proud of. But I thought it was very nice to see someone with a high-level degree, someone that had intentions of doing something with it to help the family business. I like those kind of stories. I mean, that's the same reason I liked Tika Chance on Me. I thought that that was really interesting, the fact Mm -hmm. that Pinky and that book went back to help her family when her mother was sick. She dropped Mm -hmm. out of school and went to help and and do what was necessary. And I like that because it shows a a deep family and community connection, right? And I appreciate that. Mm -hmm. But I, I don't... I think the problem in this book is that when she gets to use her uh, smarts and her education, it's once again just in the service of her husband. Right. She doesn't really stand out on her own. She's always in service of somebody or a placeholder of something. Mm-hmm. And again, I like to repeat, in the service of her husband who bought her. Yes. Let us let us not forget that. And then there's another one where she talks about she's talking about like the the politics of okay in this world shifters are out and proud kind of, kind of like in True Blood and mm-hmm. uh, the Suki Stackhouse the the doors been open and people know about them and like in the case of the Blackstones Hank Blackstone dragons are only ones that can get the Blackstone gem. So they're the only ones that can mine it out. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of knowledge is out there. But Reva kind of bothers me a little bit in this way because oh, sure. she said she had to admit she wasn't political, but she did believe that shifters had the same rights as humans. And she didn't believe any of those stupid rumors, those anti-shifter groups spread to frighten people. I actually, I'm, I was glad to see that. But also at the same time, it kind of is like, both sides of the mouth she's not political but she totally doesn't believe the 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 propaganda either so doesn't that make it political by nature of course and also that's something i noticed about uh i believe it was right away in the first chapter they set up those uh a little bit of world building a clunky way that uh there are stereotypes against shifters and against dragons specifically and that there are evil cold cruel monsters yeah. And of course those it's 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 all wrong shifters are good people, but that's the same chapter that our shifter protagonist decides to buy a wife. <laughs> yeah. I but actually I'm glad you brought that up because that was actually when that was the first note I made in the book. That little mm-hmm. passage and it says groups like SPK S no sorry, S P H K and D A R S.A. abhorred all shifters, but they seemed to have a special hatred for dragons. Not that anyone could blame them. After all, dragons were giant fighting creatures who could raz cities and towns in mere minutes. So the anti-shifter groups had begun to spread rumors that human women who mated with the dragons always died in childbirth. They said that women who got pregnant by dragon shifters would give birth to eggs or monsters that would rip them apart from the inside. It was an utter lie, of course. Human women gave birth to perfectly normal babies. His own mother had survived birthing two dragon shifters, even though she had died of a heart attack when he was 15. And and I actually wrote that down because you're setting up this world, and yet it it calls upon a lot of the, like, 
conservative right-wing political systems in the U.S. right now. Mm -hmm. The othering of people, which is kind of what the shifters act for in this particular book. But she doesn't believe any of that stuff. But yeah, and she doesn't, but she says she's not political. Mm. There's also the the thing that where uh, whenever superpowered beings stand in for a minority, minority in uh, writing, it's kind of clunky because that gives uh, the bigots a reason to be afraid as opposed to real life bigotry that is without basis. Yeah. Yeah, that's actually really true. And then there's... <sighs> There's another part of this that really disturbs me because I, I wrote these notes down. She had to admit she'd been curious and looked at those sites. But the the way when these women were talked frankly of sex and treating the shifters like they were pieces of meat had just turned her off. Still, shifters had a reputation for a reason. Huh? Right. And like, for, for it's, it's talked frankly of sex, what is, why is that, what, that seems like too entirely different topics well yeah well I mean it kind of is but like this like these were in the, like the, the same like three or four paragraphs when she was talking about what she knew about the shifters mm-hmm. and like okay so they deserve the same rights as humans but they had a reputation for being sex minded and like I'm as I'm a guess, narrative says for a reason right but <sighs> Yeah, it's it's very confused and very definitely written by a white person. Yeah, I just I I don't know about that because I didn't look up the author, but oh oh, I would bet money. I I don't know. I just I I just know it just it made my skin crawl in many ways because oh, yeah. there was a lot of like racist tropes in that, mm. and and not enough to dispel them. <laughs> right, and so I'm just like. I'm from the South, so I'm used to it. I think this is actually supposed to be up in, in Illinois or something. I don't know. It's supposed to be up there in the upper part of the country, um, mm. in the Midwest somewhere. But, like, I was just really confused about how I'm supposed to, like, cheer for Reva when she's like this. Yeah. You know? Like, how how do you cheer for that? Mm. Of course, you could say that she is... Uh fucking saint compared to the other protagonist truth truth because it would have been one thing if uh, if you had a narrative about an arranged marriage where both people try to be professional about it and are being respectful and you know if I were to write a narrative like that I would have it be her idea in the first place and I would have them be like, like uh, of course we're not actually going to have sex to make this happen but then for the sake of expedience they're kind of going like oh maybe we should maybe not that I'm horny or something but maybe we should yeah that 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 would be a way to make that narrative work even though it's still uncomfortable but in this case they're openly hostile to one another and he basically uh, pressures her into sex yeah well e- even more than that because we'll get to that in a minute because there's a whole well I got lots of notes on that but first like you were talking about the marriage thing I actually noted this part too so it was easy enough to dangle a quick solution in front of Thomas Sinclair Reva's father which was why he had been stunned when the old man threw him out of his office but then no decent man would tell his daughter would sell his daughter to save his business he literally says to sell his daughter yep 
instead of finding somebody on his own, he's literally mm-hmm. going the expedient route because he doesn't want to deal with anything. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you're the hero. And like my my notes say, so paternalistic, ugh, not loving the hero either. Yeah. Like that just made my skin crawl. Mm. I'm sure our listeners are going to forgive if we skip back and forth a bit. The part that kind of disturbed me the most was uh, the wedding night scene. Narrative says, at first he was going to give her a separate room, but then he sees her and she's so sexy, so he decides to uh, share a bed with her. Yeah. Yeah. And then she wakes up uh, with him uh, stark naked against her and his erection pressing into her butt. Yeah. Which... Yeah, that's pretty much already rape. Yeah. Well, that's like, and and to go to kind of further that, like, they talk about the the wedding. So the wedding is put together in like a week or so, like three days, whatever. Like that. So it's put together very quickly. And the wedding is very Pinteresty. Like that's just the note I made. <laughs> yeah. And like. In the forest. Yeah, very, and then. Um, but his descri- the description of her in the wedding dress is what really kind of grossed me out a little bit too. Hmm. So thick mahogany colored hair flowed down past her shoulders, curling over delicate pale shoulders. Her loose off the shoulder white gown hinted at the curves underneath. And for some reason, he was glad she wasn't showing off her body in front of all these people. Her creamy yeah. skin flushed, pat, flushed pink when their eyes locked, and her light and her eyes light brown with green specks, so clear and wide it brought a shock to his system. Mine. Gah. Not yours. Gah. Not not his at all. Like this is my first note. The fuck. My second note is also the fuck. Mind you, in this scene, he meets her for the first time. Right. Like, he's never seen her. He doesn't know her. Like, the only thing he's ever... No. Did he meet her for the first time? I thought he met her, like... I thought maybe he met her once before, but... um. I think right before the reception, before that, they talk on the phone. Oh, yeah, you're right. Okay. And then to, des- to describe the reception, it's very, like... The reception was even more enchanting. Fairy lights, white paper lanterns, and upside-down paper umbrellas hung across the trees, creating a canopy. The plain wooden tables they usually used for picnics was covered in white linen and burlap and decorated with candles and more wildflowers. It was a fairy tale wonderland. Again, very Pinteresty. But the mm. thing is, is like it's a very romantic setting for a very business transaction. Yep. This is the writer really... Uh uh, I'm gonna say it like this: uh, trying to have their wedding cake and eat it too. Yeah, cause I noticed that. And then during the scene when they're kind of like when they they're in their reception time period, and they're like crawling all over each other against the tree, and his lips curled into a smile. You'll beg me to make love to you, and not just so you can have my air, but because you'll be wanting me so bad. Ah. Oh. And you were my body. I know. It was so gross. It was so un- unneeded. Oh, yeah. It f- feels like blurred lines to book. Oh, because it gets better. Because then he goes... Because then he's like blaming her for not being um, a homely looking girl. For not being, mm-hmm. you know, plain. For not being Sarah yeah. plain and tall, basically. Yeah. 
the protagonist really is deeply misogynistic because he's he sees that she's very attractive and he's immediately like that bitch I hate her I'm gonna fuck her so hard right well cause yeah because then he goes like fathering an heir could wait for some reason he wanted to tie Riva to him so that she would never leave which I mean obviously he's already considered her his mate like spoiler alert they become that later on in the book but you can tell in the beginning of the story that that's what he was doing like mm-hmm. there was no hiding it but the thing is is she was never invited to those conversations yep besides can, can I say something about the whole mate thing yeah I understand that it's kind of a romance novel tr- uh, trope for for this uh, subgenre to ha- uh, have evidence of the one true love but at the same time it kind of stings of biological determinism which is not even half a step away from eugenics I don't know about that I think it's more okay put it in the context of you and I mm-hmm. like I knew you were my forever like the first time we talked hmm. like and I told you that from jump like I knew that we were going to be together the first week we met and for the record world I am not that romantic girl I read romance but I am so level headed it's kind of scary sometimes mm-hmm. I'm practical I'm very like realistic I don't fall for that but I knew it in my in my bone in my bones mm-hmm. like I knew it the minute that we got on um, AIM because this was in the t- year, era of AIM guys was it, what is it still AIM? yep that was still AIM huh. um, and so I knew that then and we had we went through a lot of struggles with that um, because you took you a while to catch up yeah. but <laughs> but the thing is is I can understand the mating thing like I can understand how that mate idea works what I don't understand mm. is how surface level this particular book made it like he knew mm. she was his his mate you know without even really talking to her or speaking to her just looking at her like mm-hmm. like there was literally no real connection allowed there mm. and again I, I think that's that's kind of speaking to uh, what I mean is it's all very uh, biological it's all very genetic it's all like this animal needs this animal it is nature's law maybe but when I think of eugenics I think more of um, more of the southern eugenics yeah Still, it it is in a very very uncomfortable and unfortunate territory. Well, it is for me because Reva didn't get a choice. Yep. Like literally, the the whole in the whole book, he never gives her a choice on anything really. Hmm. Like he tells her what I'm like, dude. You married a father. You you didn't marry a husband. You married a father at this point because he determines hmm. everything, and she either has to follow along with it or she's kind of sol. Hmm. And it's like, it's like a long form. Uh, uh, I don't really want to say it like that, but uh, the thing where some guys are like, "Oh, but once you get started, she'll be into it." This is this is like the long form version of that. Yeah, it's very pickup artisty, isn't it? Yeah, basically, uh, as as soon as she learns of the quality of his dick, she uh, falls into a happy, blissful housewife role. Right, I noticed that too, and it's like 
And then, like, it suddenly, he suddenly realizes, like, during the book at some point, that Reva was his mate. And I'm like, you just admitted when you first met her that she was yours. So, how are you realizing this 40 pages later? It makes no sense. No. It just, it just doesn't make any sense. It really doesn't. Oh, yeah, and we still haven't gotten into the unnecessary murder plots. Yeah, no, we'll get to those in a minute. We, we haven't got that far into the book yet. True. And then, like, so when they have sex, it's after she sees him as a dragon. Mm-hmm. When he's mining, because in, in this world, the Blackstone is mined by dragon fire. It's the only thing that can really break it down and, you know, you can mine it and use yeah. it. And a lot of tech and a lot of... You know, construction industry uses Blackstone, so it's made him a lot of money. Well, mm-hmm. it should have. It turns out the people running his business didn't know shit. But, so, they've got all that stuff going on. And I just, I don't, I can't. Like, the the sex, because, like, they didn't have sex right away, if you remember. They didn't have sex until mm-hmm. after she, after he saw her. And they saw each other in the stupid cave, and they went and had dinner, and... You know, they were going to go with his mm. friend, cousin. I think it was his cousin. Mm. Um, and they were going to go have dinner. And then they didn't because the the other couple was, like, setting them up so they could have a romantic Italian dinner mm. in this little town. Come to think about it, disputes are also a lot like all those Christian propaganda films. <laughs> yeah. It's like what not to do for a Hallmark movie, too. It's it's a very raw roomy kind of romance. Yeah, and and the thing is, is like, I I couldn't get a feel on the world this was set in, like the actual like physical location. Hmm. Did you have trouble with that? Because like sometimes I thought it was like in the Smoky Mountains, and then the next minute I thought it was up in like the Chicago area. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like New England, and also like the most rural. Colorado at the same time yeah see you got in two completely areas and I didn't get so like there wasn't a lot of like I I couldn't figure out where this was supposed to be yeah not to forget that the family owns a castle (laughs) in the United States yeah it was built by his one of his ancestors and so they have and it's falling apart and moldering like it's I don't know a Regency romance castle Mm -hmm. because you know all those ancient American castles. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, the Vanderbilts definitely weren't the leaders in that idea. I guess they had to compete with the Vanderbilts. I don't know. Uh, When the castle on Gargos is more realistic. (laughs) Well, at least that one came from Scotland, dear. Yep. Still ridiculous that uh, when it's being re-erected on top of a skyscraper, but still made more sense than this. Yes, yes it did. Oh, here's, here's another thing that really bothered me during that whole like romance and whatever she was like she goes should she how could she tell him what she had discovered with a long sigh she sat down next to him so i don't know if you know this but i was going to school for my mba your father mentioned it he said but i didn't get any more details because he didn't want to know Mm -hmm. so just so you know i'm not an advanced businesswoman or anything but i've been working for my father since i was a teenager and i then worked in an architectural firm so no never mind this is stupid she felt embarrassed I like how we both basically growled at the same time. 
just because it's like what are you doing like she went to NBA you established that this was her goal but yet you're making her so biddable like mm-hmm. but yeah she was going through the notes anyway and finding that well like the the money wasn't coming in and they needed to do some stuff to mm-hmm. balance the company or the company would go under because he had used a lot of their capital to buy her father's company mm-hmm also on the uh, on the side, that scene where she balances out the books feels very uh, uh, Ronald Reagan to the rescue. <laughs> I was thinking more like working girl, but okay. Yeah, but she fixes things by being more ruthless in the marketplace. So yeah, there's yeah. that true. But I was thinking in that scene, she reminded me in Working Girl, Melanie Griffith in Working Girl. Okay. Oh, and so we should get to the like one of those subplot lines because there's like four of them so mm-hmm. in the subplot line her ex Daniel comes back after Reva and Hank had started to have a happy marriage and figure out what they wanted to do blah 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 and Daniel calls her randomly from a random number and he's in the like parking lot of Blackstone Mm-hmm. I'm going. I'm thinking. Wait a minute. You mean they've got corporate offices, but they don't have any kind of like shielded parking? It's just a regular parking lot for like this formerly multi-million. Her husband is so good and trusting. Yeah, I guess it is. Except we find out later on. But anyway, so <laughs> he calls her, and then she goes down to meet him because I don't. I don't know why. I just whatever. And then Daniel, oh, this scene. Does this scene make you kind of want to gag? Oh, yeah. Vomit? Okay, so listeners, I'm going to describe it. I cut out a lot of it just to give you an idea of what's going on. But be forewarned, it's fairly sexual assaulty. His hands moved under her skirt, pushing the fabric up until his fingers brushed the inside of her thighs. Get off of me, she screamed pushing him off he staggered back never touch me again get the fuck out of here hate filled his eyes but he gave her a smile just you wait reva you'll get what's coming to you what you deserve he got back into the car and drove off a chill blasted across her arms what did he mean she began to shake all over daniel's words were puzzling but she couldn't let him get away the fbi agent who had interviewed her had given her his card she would call him right away and hopefully put the thing behind her like it's almost brushed off the fact that he basically was trying to rape her. Mm-hmm. But again, apparently it was forgivable in the case of her husband. So well, who knows the thing, what the, well, and the thing is, is like in this case, I'm like, I'm I'm really tired of male villains like defaulting to rape or sexual assault. Oh yeah. There are other ways that you can damage a woman that doesn't involve like completely making her mm. vomit from the the stress of the situation mm. and the fear. Mm. And I mean, there are, there are way too many people who've gone through that trauma in real life. Right. They don't and, need a constant reminder. Right, and this book treats it so shallowly. You know, I'm just like, oh. Yeah. He ca- comes in as, as this mustache-twirling villain out of nowhere, and he disappears yeah. just as quickly again. And And then, like, that's not even the worst part of things that happened to her. Which is saying something, guys. Because then she goes back home and, okay, 
So Hank's older brother Harrison was married to this. I think her name was Melanie. I think Melissa. Was it Melissa? And it was, and it was a Mel something. So he was married to her, and he was running away from his wife. And in the process, he was taking Hank's fiance because apparently they were having a relationship or something. His previous wife, do we? Yeah, his previous fiance. The one that made his heart turn to black and stone. Get it? Uh-huh. Anyway. So, Melissa has had, like, Reva followed with a camera, making sure to set up scenes like the one with Daniel, because she's working with Daniel, in order to convince Hank that Reva is a cheating whore, basically. I mean, that's basically what she calls her. Mm. Of a woman because of who she is and I'm just like and and Hank is so fucking stupid he can't see what's going on and by the way this pretty even though she is not painted as a sympathetic character the entire time this kind of comes out of nowhere towards the end and she immediately confesses for no good reason yeah and what she confesses to was pretty crazy alright so mm-hmm. This is, but this is what pissed me off, and I wanted to give you that background because the quote is, "He'd never trust another woman with his heart. All of them were the same, two-faced liars." What a dick. Yeah, but I'm thinking, okay, so you loved your wife before the obvious setup, but you obviously didn't trust her if you're willing to trust pictures without right. talking to your wife. In every aspect, this guy is like the textbook example of an abusive partner. Yeah, and it's just like, and I'm like, I, I can't rah-rah an abusive partner. Sorry, not mm-hmm. my thing. But also, like, just the, like, mechanisms going on in his own fucking house that he doesn't know about. Yeah, in real life, a guy like that would, I would immediately say he's looking for excuses to hate the woman. Oh, he totally is. Like, he's just waiting Mm. for the shoe to drop so he can get some dirt and hate somebody. Mm. And then, like you said, the Melissa, or I think that was her name, she um, confesses to some heinous crimes after, like, Reva leaves the house in a car running away because he's basically called her a lying, you know, cheater and adulterer mm-hmm. because of the pictures of Daniel that Melissa had set up to take pictures of when mm-hmm. he almost raped her. Mm-hmm. Also great that uh, he can't uh, uh, differentiate between what his woman looks like in pleasure and what she looks like in disgust. Yeah. So apparently uh, this Melissa knew that she would drive off and cut her brakes and she had also previously cut the brakes of her husband and Hank's fiancé, because they were running off together, which no doubt she must have engineered as well. Yeah. And the amazing part is, when prompted, she immediately confesses that while seeing a policeman in the room. Right. And, like, isn't there, like, an FBI agent involved in this, too? Because remember how Reva said she called the FBI agent, and, like, apparently, like, the the sheriff was also... I don't know. Anyway. Yeah, it was a sheriff in the room, because he's friends with Hank, because that's not a problem. Well, aren't they, like friends or cousins or something I don't know anyway Mm. all the people in this little town are related somehow Mm -hmm. and and the the fine thing is is you you talking about that confession I actually have that on my notes 
Please go right ahead. Yeah, she goes, I did it. I cut the brake line on hair of Harrison's car. I didn't know Andrea, the former fiance, would be in there with them. But what a bonus, right? And now your slut wife is gone too and we can be together. I found her ex-boyfriend. And of course, that little weasel would do anything for some cash, even force himself on her. And then she goes, arg, because he's like trying to kill her at that point. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, oh you you didn't see any of this hank like you didn't see how mad possessive she was how like she was like trying to get all up in your face all up in your grill trying to do everything and like there's this immediate confession even though she sees the policeman in the room she's like no i'm I'm definitely obviously gonna get away with this yeah and talking to like a dragon and she was married to a dragon because melissa is a human and she wanted to have Hank's dragon babies. Yeah. I don't know if she... Is she, she maybe just suicidal and doesn't know it? Apparently, because he almost kills her after they drag her away. And then, like, at some point, he transforms to the dragon and goes looking for Reva when he realizes he's been a dumbass. Mm. I was like, Reva, just keep going. Go the other way. Just disappear. They'll never know. Also, may I just say, uh, the size of the dragon is ridiculous in this thing. I think it was mentioned that he's standing 50 feet high. Oh, yeah, I don't remember. Tall. Yeah, I don't know. I don't remember. This how is big kaiju was. size. <laughs> Could spit on King Kong's head. <laughs> All right. And of course, he's a golden dragon. Mm-hmm. Of course. And then, oh, so to mention about the brake line thing, she's driving over a bridge and apparently the car goes into the river and she loses everything but she manages to stay she manages to like get on the bank and she sees the golden dragon in the sky and she tries to flag him down but he misses her because apparently he doesn't know what he's doing as a dragon apparently this is a whole new idea of actually paying attention to what the fuck your wife is doing land wife where are you wife should i look down nah wife <laughs> right and so <laughs> And so, like, he's grief-stricken, blah, 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 whereas she's found by some people. And let me tell you, these people made me think of Superman. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, good, you got it, too? <laughs> okay. His name, and I know that, is Clark Caldwell. Uh-huh, and his wife is... Martha. How do you know that name? Who told you that name? <laughs> okay. <laughs> And then she's talking about they have a little boy and they've got a son named Nathan and apparently like I think they were from West Virginia or something and they had some issues with them being shifters in the town not appreciating it or whatever so they were going to go to the Blackstone town because like that's known as a safe place for shifters basically. Mm. And I'm just like I'm sorry we're throwing yet another side arc into this book. Mm-hmm. We haven't finished like half the side arcs from the other part of the book. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then, like, she go, she gets back. So Clark and Martha take her back to <laughs> the castle. Sorry. Yeah, I know, right? Well, I guess that we should be glad his name was, wasn't Jonathan, okay? All right. <laughs> so there's a scene where I, I don't... I, are you talking about this fucking Looney Tunes You Are Dead scene? <laughs> yes. May, may I read it in its entirety? Yes, because this have fucking cartoon shit comes out of nowhere. <laughs> Wait, to, to explain this on the scene. So, Heaving Bosoms one time mentioned like the um, 
uh, it's all coming back to me now. Celine Dion video with the weird like French doors and stuff because they were reading a book that kept mentioning French doors. Mm-hmm. And so that's all I can see in my head as I'm reading this is like Celine Dion video. Just Celine Dion meets meatloaf meets like, I don't know, share in my head. Anyway, uh, to set the scene. Taking two steps at a time, she ran to the master bedroom, throwing the door open. Hank! Her husband was sitting on the bed, naked, his back to her. His head was hung low, his shoulders hunched over. Hank! she called again. With careful steps, she approached him. I'm here! Arriva, he said in a soft, anguished voice and lifted his head. As she came closer, she saw he was staring forward out of the balcony doors. They were open and the wind howled and whipped at the curtains. Riva, I tried. I'm sorry I didn't find you. That I was too late. What was he saying? She walked in front of him, but he didn't even flinch. Hank, what are you talking about? I'm here. His eyes were glassy and rimmed with red. I know you're here. You'll always be with me. You're my mate. And now you're dead because of me. Hank! she admonished. I'm here. I'm not dead. She grabbed his hands and placed them on her face. It's me. I'm alive. Hank's face paled, then his eyes cleared. He blinked at her, his eyes searching for her face. Riva, you're here. Of course I am silly, she laughed. If I were dead, I wouldn't waste my afterlife haunting you, you beast. Oh, Riva, this... Where did this Benny Hill shit come from all of a sudden? <laughs> I like how you were thinking of Benny Hill and I, and I was thinking of like 1974 soap opera. I like this. In this in book where people turn into kaiju dragons, this is the most unbelievable part. No, wait, this is the second most unbelievable part. The most unbelievable part is that they actually fall in love. (laughs) This is a close (laughs) runner-up. But actually, it gets better because in that same scene, you hear them declare their love for each other, finally. Yeah. Yeah, and so you have, like, you love me, she said, her heart soaring, and I'm your mate, right? (laughs) Hank nodded. Yes, my dragon will be tied to you, devoted to you for the rest of our lives. Even if you decide not to forgive me, I'll dedicate the rest of my life to your happiness. She gasped and tears clouded her vision. I love you too, Hank. And yes, I forgive you. How could she not? In her heart, she now knew what a mate was. She may not have understood it, but she knew Hank was hers forever. Can, can we, the uh, fuck? Can we pipe in, I'm your mate by right, said Fred at this point? Is that, <laughs> we don't have to rise to oh, well. I'm your mate, and I will stand by you. But no, but like seriously, how? How does she know what love is, and how does she forgive him when he basically called her a whore? Because uh, there's like seven pages left. (laughs) Not counting the epilogue. But like, how? Why? Like he literally did nothing to earn her trust or her love. Like, she did everything to fit into his world, but he didn't do anything to fit into hers. I just checked. This is literally the last page oh, okay. before the epilogue. Oh, okay, good. All right. Because then, like, 
Then, like, the way it's wrapped up is, like, after all that happened, she never thought she'd be happy. The past was behind them. Melissa had been convicted and jailed for the murder of Harrison and Andrea. The FBI were also able to catch Daniel, and he was behind bars, too. Makes it easy. Okay. And, of course, we have to uh, fast forward in Picard's in the Nexus. And has ch- wait, wait, no. Anyway, fast forward. There are kids. They play and get very uncomfortably naked all the time while doing this. So. <laughs> Yeah, and there's also the lion cub they find, and it's not like one of the re- it's not one of the regular lion cubs, so they're confused as to what's going on because the lion cub is really a kid. Mm-hmm. I can't wait not to follow up on that cliffhanger. <laughs> that I know you said last night when we were vaguely talking about the book, and I was apologizing yes. for making you read the book. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I w- you shouldn't be the one who apologizes. The writer should be who, who apologizes. Okay, but. I have to talk about one part that was in the epilogue with, when she was pregnant. Because apparently they had like two twins, I think. Um, mm-hmm. Hank laughed and kissed her belly. I can't wait to see you, baby girl. And I've already got my shotgun cleaned and ready for all those boys who will be trying to take you from me. Ah. Also, what, what does he fucking need a shotgun for? <laughs> He's a dragon. <laughs> he can literally breathe fire that is too hot to measure as per this very book. <laughs> So he's not only a conservative fuckwad, he's also a stupid conservative <laughs> fuckwad. Well, of course he was. Reva had to keep his business going. Remember, she had to come up with that, like, foundation or whatever that would help keep, like, the city running so it wouldn't come out of the Blackstone Reserves directly and the, the company, by the way, not the house. Mm. Because the house was apparently still moldy half the time. They just worked on cleaning it up as best they could. I'm imagining, like, a derelict, like, dowager house from, I won't say Down Abbey because that's too English, probably, like, <laughs> um, the Vanderbilt house in Asheville. Sure. I'm just like, I, I, there was no cohesion in this book. It was a mess. So, I'm going to say that neither one of us are going to read the author again. Hell no. <laughs> that was very emphatically stated, love. And I'm definitely going to say that I did not enjoy the book. Weird, I didn't either. <laughs> Which is strange, because usually one of us will enjoy the book, but, yeah, but apparently... Usually we read books that are good. Well, that I don't... the problem. I don't know. We didn't, we didn't like the Christmas book last year. Yeah, no, that was not one of the usual good ones, no. That, no. that Lexi Tim's book wasn't good. We yeah, also the, didn't like mm. the one on Patreon about the menage. Well, they were doing menage wrong. <laughs> By the way, this, exactly like this book is doing monster fucking wrong, because if you're going to write monster fuckers, fuck the monster. <laughs> See, like, now, now wait, hold on. To give this shout out, we have to shout out to Clayton on learning the tropes. Because... <laughs> Because he agrees with you. I'm just, I'm just saying, if if you're gonna write about like having sex with werewolves and werewolves and whatnot, why if you, why it's just human, it's just a human when they're for any anything that matters, it's just a human. The dragon is superfluous. Because we don't want to read about bestiality. It's not bestiality if he's sentient. Well, it's, it's bestiality when it's sentient. It's not bestiality when it's sapient. Yeah. Well, no, because it's kind of bestiality because remember, like, sometimes they don't stay their human selves entirely. Well, that that's why you write it so that they do. 
I mean, do you know how much money Shape of Water made? <laughs> Truth. I agree with that. <laughs> like, th in this case, the dragon, the, the animal forms didn't even contribute to the plot in any other way. It's just, oh yeah, sometimes you're a dragon. Okay, fine. <laughs> Poor husband. Well, to be fair, hold on, to be fair, he's not my husband yet, but he will be <laughs> not long after this episode probably in the next like three or four months so just mm -hmm. take it with a grain of salt we just say husband and wife because if we had been born in the same country we would have been married long long time ago oh yes so <laughs> poor poor guy you just can't win i just always give you the bad shifter books <laughs> don't i <laughs> i mean would i be entertaining otherwise oh i don't know it, it, <laughs> i think it could be pretty entertaining with you sometimes oh thank you <laughs> Especially if I can find you a good one. Okay, so that's an idea. So, dear listeners, do you know of any book where it's like fucking an animal and it's not Laura Lee's breed series? I mean, like, not really fucking an animal. It's a monster. What? Wares, okay? Yes, yes. It's fucking the, the wear monsters. I mean, I figured that was kind of clarified since you just spent like five minutes talking yeah. about it, but... I don't want to read Laura Lee's breeds. I've read them before. <laughs> I actually didn't mind them. I actually thought they were a, a nice updated version of like the kinkier parts of Dark Angel. However, there's a problem we have with her books missing entire chapters. And I'd like to read a book that has the whole <laughs> chapters. Yeah, sometimes cohesion is good. Yeah, yeah. So that's why I'm saying no Laura Lee. I actually like yeah. Laura Lee. I've read... The first, like, I think 10 or 11 breed series books, but mm. I'm always a little worried I'm missing a chapter now because there was that whole, like, quite a while where they were missing chapters and, and pages mm. and important pages, apparently. So, none of those. What else you got? And no, Aaron and Clayton, not Fury, because you've <laughs> already covered Fury. Fury, apparently, is a very good book that I should probably just buy you and let you read by yourself. Hmm. But they've already covered it, so I kind of want to... I don't want to copy them. Hmm. So, yeah, I, I mentioned Shape of Water, so that's the wheelhouse we're looking for. No, that's his wheelhouse. I'll read it for him because I love him, but that's his wheelhouse. <laughs> I mean, we're looking for, for the purposes of this podcast. Yeah, no, I'm still going to say that's your wheelhouse, honey. For the purposes of our collaboration on this podcast. <laughs> that's your wheelhouse. That's not mine. I'm not the one that went and found the monster dildos for funsies one day okay oh come on everybody knows about those <laughs> there's a quite a few collections so i'm not going to mention the the different sites but you can find them online pretty easily with ease indeed i mean you already mentioned dragons so. yes but there's other kinds of monsters mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. okay so anything you want to add in the wrap-up because i'm pretty sure they don't want to listen to us for longer than in like an hour Yes. Um, may um, may the writer of this book find himself in the in eternal dragon for uh, of the eternal if inferno of the deepest abyss of um, ah let's let's be generous let's say Tartarus. Wow, dear Alicia Montgomery, I didn't say that. I'm not the evil one in this relationship. Apparently, surprisingly, I said find themselves, not lose themselves. Yeah. No. Mm -hmm. Okay. So. <laughs> You enjoy your life now that you're done reading this book. 
but it's okay guys <laughs> i'm making him read one for christmas too and by christmas i'll be living with him so we can record it together Plus so microphone yeah because like i mentioned in the the bury the hatchet episode i got a new microphone that actually doesn't suck surprise surprise mm-hmm. surprise so i'm i'm enjoying this like have a very interesting way of having to position it sometimes to get the right audio, but we're working on it. I'm not complaining. You never would. <laughs> Don't mind us, listeners. Just carry on with your life. Okay, so after this, I'm going to have the promo, I guess, of the episode, a podcast that I really enjoy listening to and I think you should listen to. And then we're going to do the promo, the another promo, and then I'm going to talk a little bit about what's going on in Romance Landing and what I think we should probably be more inclusive of. And then I'm going to let you leave. Yay! Or you know, you can just turn the you can turn the podcast off now. That's fine too. I I don't I don't mind it. You've enjoyed the most important part of this statement, I think. Why would anyone stop listening to you? <laughs> Well, what I mean is, is they've listened to us for an hour. They may want to go take a break and, I don't know, go play in traffic after listening to us. But but I'll, I'll be gone. They just hear you. That's good. Yeah. All right. So he's going to go away now. I shall. Right. <laughs> and then I'll continue on. Podcast of the Week shout out actually goes to Book of Lies, which features Brandy and Sunny, and they talk about the bullshittery of conniving people and how we've, as a society, fallen for a lot of con artists and why we shouldn't. One of my favorite episodes, I have to say, is about Lou Pearlman because I was in my late teens when No Strings Attached came out. And I remember how much was going on with Lou and, you know, NSYNC and then later the Backstreet Boys and trying to undo years of damage. And in some ways, he reminded me a lot of what TLC was saying after they won the Grammys, you know, how people can win a Grammy but still be broke. A lot of the same things. And I really appreciated the way that Sonny and Brandy dug into the episode and for someone that really enjoyed in sync at the time it really made a difference to me because i think it showcased the depravity of children and entertainment because many of them started when they were late teens early teens somewhere around there because like there's i think about 10 years difference between justin and chris kirkpatrick so it's just a very detailed episode and i've listened to their other episodes and they are just as detailed They add a lot of commentary, they're smart, they're intelligent women, and they also talk about other things going on in their life. It's a fun podcast to listen to. So if you want something enjoyable, I would recommend the Book of Lies podcast. Okay, so here's a discussion that I've seen on Twitter, and I think it's relevant to a lot of us in Romance Landia and those outside of Romance Landia because some people do not feel invited into Romance Landia and I think that that's a very telling statement because we try to be inclusive and we're not and I'm putting myself in here too by the way like this is not just you guys 
and and Twitter and the whole like romance community. A lot of times we don't really talk about the ableism and I've noticed that there's more discussions and Corey Alexander talks about it a lot. We tend to assume that everyone is just like us. The neurotypical cisgender, primarily white, able-bodied, and it, romance has a tendency to exclude people that are not within that white, well, wide range. And I'm sorry to say that, and I got thinking about it, and it's kind of true. Like, you don't really see people that are facing a lot of mental illness and, you know, getting over it and finding a partner that understands that. And if something happens and the person with the mental break has an issue, the love interest still stays with them because they understand and they're loving, even though it's not perfect. And responses and stuff like that, it... I just, I feel like we're missing something like that. And Corey, of course, talks about autism a lot, but there's also people that are in wheelchairs. Alyssa Cole did Can't Escape Love about Reggie, who is in a wheelchair, but still has a very fulfilling life. And I think that we're sometimes missing a lot of those viewpoints, but also just because you're not standard doesn't mean that you can't enjoy love. And I, I like reading about people that have different experiences personally because I have my own like how many books do you see about type 1 diabetics love stories like I have my own love story do not get me wrong but I don't read about them like you don't see about it you know when most people think of type 1 diabetes they think about Stacy from the babysitters club it's been a hot minute since Stacy was announced to the world it's like 30 years so I just I feel like we don't take things like fibromyalgia into it. And I know that Talia, yes, Hibbert, said Get a Life Chloe Brown is very much based on her experiences just like in that kind of guy. There's a lot of talk about ACE and things that I, I guess we just don't really discuss and openly communicate about. And that really makes me sad because how many people are getting excluded out of the books that we read and promote? And I need to do better. Hell yeah. I am so not saying I don't. You know, I'm trying to go out of my way. And I want another request from you guys is what can we, is there a resource for people like me who want to expand what we're reading and be more inclusive to our readers? Where can I find this information? Is there a list that I don't know about? Because I don't really go that deep in, into Twitter and Instagram and you know, the blogs anymore because I just don't have time right now. And I want to correct that behavior. So is there any place that I can find resources about disabilities? But I, and I really don't like calling them disabilities for the record because I have one and I, I don't feel disabled at all. I feel differently abled, you know, like my highs and my lows and my issues with my diabetes and the like depression that goes, you know, with it and all this other stuff. It doesn't make me a lesser person, which is why I don't like the word disability, honestly. But it's kind of in the American law books as the Disabilities Act. So I want to know more and I want to find resources because I don't want someone to teach me that's so not someone's emotional labor. And I don't want someone to teach anybody else. But I want to find a resource where I can start and I can start finding where I've missed things that maybe I shouldn't have. 
and where I can correct the behavior and I can give other recommendations for other people from what I've read and what I've experienced because again I don't want to take someone else's work and claim it as my own that's not my job as someone running a podcast so if you know someone that has some place for me to go please please twitter it to me because I honestly you can email me too but I am so bad about answering emails because I work retail twitter is your best bet because I can that little at symbol comes up and it doesn't get lost in all the other email messages that ended up getting ignored because work. So my podcast Twitter account is Damsel's Podcast. Woo-hoo. Same as my email, actually, which is Damsel's Podcast at Gmail. I, I, I don't know where to start and I don't want to look for the wrong things. That's kind of the missed point of my asking, right? And I kind of want readers and listeners to benefit from what I've found and what has been pointed out to me. And total credit will go wherever you guys send me. I'm not, like I said, I'm not going to take claims for that. But I can at least start and see where people feel the exclusion is coming from and how to fix it. Because I fully believe in the spoon theory and you guys do not owe me any spoons. So new Patreon shout-out time has arrived, and it is for T. Elms, just like it sounds. And she writes Sidelings, which is a free horror novel that you can get at sidelings.com. And she also has this really awesome comic book called Friend Averse. You know the, the comics when we were younger? The ones where we had friends, like it wasn't so much Marvel Mayhem, but it was more like the cartoons that we used to watch when we were little with like the kids that were friends and stuff like that. It's very much in that vein. And (laughs) so I'm shouting her out because she went not just a little bit above what I had requested. She superseded the Patreon by like leaps and bounds. And I was gobsmacked because it just, it, it took me out because I'm not used to that and so I wanted to give her a personal shout out and Crash Girl and Sparkle really seems to work really really well and I think it's a fun something less angsty and more fun and that's really important I think when we're all kind of stressed out in our daily lives you can find her at sidelings.com for the free novel and you can find her friend averse which is going to be available on kickstarter and her name is d elms oh oh and if you want to know something really interesting she loves hyenas i mean how can you not love a person that doesn't love hyenas and her final note is something that i really believe in and i want you guys to focus on it it's tell someone else that you care about them today in other words don't let a time go by that you don't let someone that you love them how can you not respect that okay guys that's the end of the episode i hope you enjoyed it it's a little bit of a mismatch and a little like monstery of it all you've got to listen to a book that did not please everybody in the writing reading world and if you want to read it more power to you I hope you enjoyed listening to Sven and his uh, 
personality I see like every day of our marriage. Don't forget to check out the mentioned podcast in this episode. And if you have any resources about the lack of inclusion of non-typically abled people, please let me know. Again, I really hate the word disabled. I would really appreciate it because ableism is real in the industry and I want to try and change what I can for people because that's kind of my job in this job. <laughs> All right. So in conclusion, woohoo, woo, bye. Happy Halloween. <laughs>